0: Hey, thanks for listening to Sandals Church, where our vision is to be real with ourselves, God, and others. We hope you enjoy this special podcast episode of an Enneagram Q&A session that Pastor Matt and Tammy Brown hosted at our Sandals Church, Palm Avenue campus. This came just after the release of his book titled, A Book Called You. Enjoy.
1: How's it going? So my name is Majesty. I'm, a t- I'm 23, I'm an Enneagram 3. Um, uh, one thing I look at in particular is I'm trying to word this question correctly, but I learned about the Enneagram, I've seen your sermons on it, um, and I love it uh, for starters. But in my daily life, I learned the Enneagram, my girlfriends learned the Enneagram, but it's difficult to take it in my daily life because people are refusing to take the assessment or it's
0: I mean, it's this thing of we all, like you said, have blind spots. I'm sorry, my name's Amy. Nice to meet you guys. Um, But so we all have blind spots. We all have things that we don't like to see. And, you know, whether we're Christian or not, but especially if someone is not a Christian in your workplace and stuff, and they are continuously living in their weaknesses, they're happy in their chains, so to speak, because they don't necessarily want to look at it. So I think what a majesty might be trying to ask, correct me if I'm wrong, But it's just how do you implement Enneagram into your daily life without making assumptions of people either, because they really haven't taken the test either. And you don't want to put people in that box, but you also want to learn how to love them better. If that no, makes sense. That, that
2: is a great question. It's one we've actually been getting a lot lately is like, how do I get other people to take the Enneagram if they don't want to? Well, the first answer is you, you don't. People have to want to be real with themselves. They have to want growth. And so the best and, and really only option that you have is for each of us to take the assessment, figure out what it means for us, and how we can become better. And part of that's going to be to become self-aware, but also to become curious about other people. So each of us work with people that are different than us, that are motivated by different things. That's what the Enneagram is. It helps us understand what motivates us, what what we're driven by. I'm driven by safety and security. Matt's driven by success and achievements. So knowing that about yourself is part of The other part is to become curious about other people. So if you have people in the workplace that um, maybe have high one, you you probably would know this because they get a lot done. They're very administrative. They don't forget, but also they can be critical. They can always go, you know what could be better? Because it's part of how God made them. And so how you engage with each of those styles, if they're always helping with everything or if they're always um, outdoing if you work with some eights, eights are fantastic leaders, but also... If they're not careful, they can run over everybody. And so to be, you know, you can't type someone else because you don't know if you're meeting actual them or the the them that they've kind of become to survive in their world. That's super, super important to know. But you can be curious about people and how you're experiencing them. To say, like, this person is always super direct with me. Well, you might be curious that I bet this person has a lot of eight in them. They're not meaning to hurt my feelings. They're a direct person, and so you learn to be direct with them. If the person is always critical, you can start asking questions like, okay, but what is going right? What is the best way? Or like, what what's our margin for error if you're, if you're working with the one? But you can't force other people, nor would we want to, because we want people to be able to come to that on their own. We're not able to change or force anyone, but you can be curious about people the same way I'm sure at some point tonight we'll talk about being curious with our kids. And so I think it's a really great question, but the answer is, knowing the enneagram your style and understanding the other styles so we tell people you know you don't you might not become an expert on every style nor do we want you to we want you to become an expert on you but having an understanding and it gives you a different heart and compassion for people. And once you have that, you can understand different strategies to maybe work with them. And the book will help you that with that because it helps you. Every chapter has how to love this person or how to engage this person. If it's not you, it's probably someone in your world. And so that, that is a way to just go that you're going to have to pivot each. How many parents are in here that, with a, more than one kid? Okay, how many of your all your kids are exactly the same? <laughs> Matt and I have three kids and we have, to, we have had to learn how to parent three different ways. Because how we engage with our oldest, who is a very high eight, is different than our middle child who is very high four, to our son who is very high five primary style. We've had to learn how to pivot. And we all need to do that in in those relationships that matter to us and and could potentially, if it's a workplace thing, put us at risk. But I guarantee the more you become better, I, I believe that other people will notice that. The Enneagram will never work when we use it as a weapon. It's a tool. And when we try to force it on other people, it becomes a weapon. But when we take it for ourselves to become the healthiest version we can be, it becomes a tool, I think, that motivates and inspires others to become the healthiest version of themselves.
3: Yeah, so back to your original question. Uh, So I think there was kind of two there. So one was with dating. um, You know, I think that that's something that you would want to do is date somebody who's curious to understand themselves. Because I think that that's more helpful that you're, you're finding a genuine person. Because a lot of people, especially young people, are still figuring out who they are and that's why i think marriages oftentimes end up off the rails because you start dating a person who's one way and then they completely change and they and i think we say they change i think what it is is they just became more true to themselves so the sooner that you can find the true person the sooner you know if that's the person that you want to date and and, and if there's a match there but oftentimes for, for those of you who are single you know dating is kind of faking <laughs> you know it's kind of like I'm gonna to try to get you to like me, so I'm gonna to listen to your music. I'm gonna dress like you. I, you know, I'm gonna to go to those, you know, games. Like when we dated, you know, she would go to a football game, and then I found out like she hates that stuff. And I was like, oh, you know, okay. Oopsie. Yeah. So.
0: Man, good stuff. Great, great question. Great question. Great question. All right, who's next? Who like? Oh, perfect, right here. I want to stand up, introduce yourself, and go to your question.
3: Hi, my name is Zach Rosenberg. I'm a eight wing seven, and my question was. Lately, I've been kind of struggling with wrestling with I don't know how I fit in with my style. So, how do I do that in a healthy way? Can you repeat the first part of your question? Did you hear it? Yeah.
2: Let me. Do I understand this right? You're an eight-wing seven, and you're here, you're wondering how your style comes out best like yeah. what, it, what does it matter? And it's such that's a, a, such a good question. Eights are some of eights is the challenger for those of you who don't know. They they're, they're um, protectors, they're very courageous, care about the underdog. Um, but they can be abrasive because they're going places. Eights are leaders and they're forward thinking. What's the problem, and how am I going to solve it? What needs to be done? Eights come out of the triad, which means when you, if you hear the phrase triad, and some of this language we say tonight, just this little side note, Matt and I actually did an episode on the Cultivate podcast, which is for women, but this one it's a two-part episode for everyone where we really get into the language you might hear with the Enneagram. What do the different things mean? But triad basically is saying, where's your center of intelligence? Are you a thinker, or a feeler, or more instinctual and so eights come from the instinct that is that they don't think how do I feel about this or what you know what do I think about this they think what do I need to do about this what needs to get done and let me tell you the eights take us places they do what needs to get done they lead the rest of us they protect the rest of us now we mentioned wing seven I'm an eight wing seven if you think if you look at your assessment when you take it you're going to look at the numbers um, to the right or the left, right? By nature, a wing is to the right or to the left. So that means that he's his primary style is an eight, and when he looks to his um, nine or seven, seven's highest. Sevens are the joyful person. They're the fun. They look for the silver lining in it, so, and they, they will, can do that. They can solve critical problems and do it in a fun way, like what's the best way but the most um efficient way. And so, you actually probably have a lot of leadership uh, gifting that is super important.
3: Yeah. So, I would say, Zach is your name? Zach, what I would say is you have to really work at reading nonverbal cues. So, if you're an eight, you know what you think. You know what you want to say. You don't want to be at this stupid meeting anyways, because if everybody just listened to you, we would get going. So, So what you have to learn to do is notice nonverbal communication. You have to really work at reading people's emotions, people's body language, because if you're not careful, you're going to run over people. And your wing seven means that you're just going to naturally bend towards what's fun rather than what's challenging. And so really work on your weaknesses. Try to identify those. Don't be afraid of them. For everybody listening, your weaknesses don't magically go away on their own. Uh, You have to address them and deal with them. It's why if you've ever been to an AA meeting, they begin with these words. Hi, my name is Matt. I'm an alcoholic. You state the problem first so that you can begin your path of healing. And uh, when I was a a young man coming up uh, in the 90s, literally we were taught to ignore your weaknesses and focus on your strengths. And I can't tell you how many of my contemporary pastors have failed because your weaknesses don't go away. They get bigger. So that's what I would do is really, really work hard at reading people's faces, you know what you want to say. You don't have to worry about that. Your question was clear. Uh, it was crisp. Bam, you had it. But how are people receiving that? Um, so that you can be the best leader you can be, because God's made you to be a leader. So, great question.
2: Someone's at the door.
3: Awesome. <laughs> yeah, great Someone's Great question. Alright, right back over here.
2: Hi, my name is Valerie, and I'm an enthusiast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I just want to know, I'm so somebody had told me that
0: the no, the way the numbers work. So I'm a seven two three, but the way you're explaining it right now is like your wings. So can you kind of explain because my numbers are very close. So like my enthusiast is a 96, my helper is a 95, my achiever is a 94. So they're all very close. So do I need to learn all those three styles and learn the different but, things, or do I just yeah? Take so my top we one? do it
3: differently. So, um, you know, when people say you're not a number, you're not. So. What did you say your numbers are, 7 two, three. Seven, two, three. 3 So I would look at that as like a spiritual emotional address. It doesn't tell you who you are, but it's going to help you find yourself. And so um, I think that I would focus in on, because she said they were pretty high scores, right? I would focus on those three high scores, not worry about the wings, and really say, how, how do these three numbers fit into me? We merely answered his question because he said, I'm an 8 wing seven. It's just Enneagram language, um, and it can go, it, it, you know, this stuff turns into like, Cycle babble. if you're not careful, it just goes crazy. We
2: answer that on the podcast, too, yeah. so maybe listen to that. Not to not answer it now, but we do go into that on the, on the podcast about the Enneagram. But, you know, if you go into most Enneagram teachings or books, it'll say, like, what is your primary style? And you stick with that. I score 99.9 healthy and unhealthy as a loyalist. <laughs> but I score, like, 99.8. The helper? And like 98.9, the perfectionist or the reformer. And so for me to ignore how much I'm influenced by helping people and by reforming would be to minimize and ignore a whole part of who I am. So I think of it as sort of like my sixth, the loyalist, is in the driver's seat of my life. The, my first filter lens that I look through about what motivates me is what is, gonna, what is the safe route? What it, am I secure? That's either literally physically or relationally. And then my two comes into play because I I like to help people. I can see needs where they need to be met. How do we need to get this done? And then the one. So we say, look at your top three. That doesn't mean, and some tests, all of them are low and there's one super high one. Then you focus on that one. But we would say, like, what are your top highest scores? Because they're all influencing you. They might influence you in different ways and to different degrees. But again, like Matt said, you're not a number, but but these numbers, and they're only for they're only numbers, you guys, because it's a way to organize the styles, but it helps you find you. So so when I know Matt's top three numbers, which are three, eight, and seven, in that order, I can say to myself, Oh, okay, he's he's motivated by Success, he's a challenger, that eight, that means he's not going to be bullied or tell what to do or follow directions, and he doesn't really care about rules. He cares about where we're going and how we're going to get there. And seven, he wants to have a lot of fun. When I understand how much that impacts him, that helps me understand who Matt is and vice versa.
3: That's an enthusiast. (laughs) Awesome. Very good, man. Great. There was one right up here. There was. Oh, perfect. Here we go.
2: Hi, I'm Clarissa. Um, I just want to say that your relational remix um, changed my life. So the Enneagram changed my life. I'm a four and I'm 22 years old. And I just wanted to ask um, this question because I struggle a lot with comparison and envy. And I know a lot of like my small group girls and a lot of girls that I um, lead to also struggle with this. So how do you acknowledge envy and take steps to not compare yourself with others without being overly self-critical and self-defeating?
3: Yeah, I, I think the key is to comparing yourself to who you were yesterday. Um, I think, you know, at, at the at the end of the day, when you stand before God, Clarissa or Carissa? It's Clarissa. Yeah. Clarissa. Yeah. Uh, you're not going to be held accountable to me or anyone else. You're going to be held accountable to God by who he created you to be. And um, I think especially with social media, uh, I think most of it's just evil and awful. Uh, and uh, for a four, it's not Enneagram, it's Enviagram. And... <laughs> And, and, and just so you know, you know, those people are fake. I can't tell you how many times I've done marriage counseling with a couple who I know are considering divorce, and then I look at their Instagram, and they're on the beach sipping wine, talking about their endless love for each other, and I'm like, where was that in the session? Um, you know, it's just fake, and it, it constantly makes us feel like we're missing out. And so, um, so in the book, I talk about um, King Saul, and um, I, King Saul gets a bad rap because of how he ended his life, but he truly had a beautiful, amazing life, and he was a leader, and a lot of people don't see fours as leaders, but what really drove Saul crazy was when he started comparing himself to David. The second David took his attention, and the key verse in the scripture, it says, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his 10 thousands. That's what people were singing, and he didn't hear, I've killed thousands of our enemies, He all he heard was David, and he he loses it from that point forward, and he becomes focused on everything he's not. And what makes me so sad about Saul's life is when he died, Jews are brutal towards their kings; they're just totally honest. And but with him, they loved him, and he never he never understood how deeply loved he was and how unique he was. And um, so what I would just say is is you are unique. Be who God's called you to be. You are loved. You are redeemed, and just really try to figure out who you are and compare yourself to who you were yesterday, because in this life, um, you know, I mean, you're a young person, and one of the lies we're told is we're all equal. I'm not equal to who I was yesterday, and I'm not equal to who I will be tomorrow. I struggle every day, and so what you need to be is you need to be up to the task of who God's called you to be today today. And I I said this. I don't remember if I said that in the sermon or not. But God does not love you guys equally. He loves everyone in this room uniquely, and and the sooner you realize that, there's just freedom to not be, you know, anybody else. Bob Goff says, "Don't try to be anybody else, or don't don't try to be anyone but you, because everyone else is already taken." Now it doesn't mean we can't learn things from people. We can't say, "Oh, that's interesting," or whatever. But envy is, "I wish that was me." Mm -hmm. Beauty is, "She's beautiful." he's smart. Wow, that's incredible. Envy is, why am I not that beautiful? Why am I not that smart? Why didn't I create that? And 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 really moving to a heart of appreciating beauty where you just say, um, wow, God is so incredible. He's made so many amazing things and amazing people. Um, and just trusting that you're a part of that. And so envy is really, really uh, challenging and really difficult, but what it forces you to do is really wrestle with who god's called you to be and so i think ultimately out of that struggle can can be something amazing and so i've been wrestling with um i read the bible every day that's not to brag it's because i'm a sinner uh, and i need it every day and the verse i'm wrestling with today is found in philippians and the attractive part is i want to know the power of of the resurrection Mm -hmm. think about that paul says i want to know the power of the resurrection of jesus christ that's beautiful but unfortunately, there's a comma. And he says, through the suffering with Christ. And I'm like, ah, why'd you have to put that part in there, you know? Uh, I just want to be Harry Potter, scrap, you know, all the, all the all this stuff. And so God's given you this suffering piece of envy so that you can experience the resurrection power of Christ. And in heaven, you and I can sit at the feet of Jesus and ask him Why? But your suffering is a part of your journey to become the beautiful person that God knows you to be. And he's calling you to that. And really, all envy is, it, it's inviting you to a path that isn't yours. It's saying, come over here. Look over here. And Jesus is saying, come to me. You're the beautiful Clarissa that I've called you to be. You're, you're wonderful, amazing, and strong, and powerful. And those are, and those are the things that, that God wants to speak over you. He knew you by name before your parents gave you a name. And you have to trust that. And not deviate from your path that God has for you. Listen to these words. I know the, the plans I have for you, says the Lord. I mean, just, just go through your Bible and just, just underline every time you see the word you. And I think especially for those of us who have been raised in church, we don't even hear you in the great commandment. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, mind, and strength. And you shall love your neighbor as your self. Self-love is the beginning of healing, and so Jesus Christ died on the cross for you because he saw something beautiful, amazing, and incredible, and you discover that. So another one of my verses, sorry guys, I'm, I'm verse guy, um, is your real life is hidden within Christ in God. There are things about you, this is so, so trippy, there are depths to you that you don't even know yet. You're like in the shallow end, and God's inviting you to the deep end. Now there's some scary stuff in there, but there's some beautiful stuff in there. And so I I just appreciate the fact that you recognize your sin and your challenge and just know that, you know, my sin is lying. Like who wants that one? You know, it's, you know, especially like when you're a pastor, I'm like, trust me, you know, it's like, um, it's terrible. And so, um, yeah, Tammy wants to talk to you. Sorry.
2: I would say one of your starting points is probably found somewhere in gratitude. The beauty of the gifting of the individualist—some people call it the romantic person—is the thing that you mimic here on earth. That Jesus in heaven is—you see beauty where other people miss it, and you can look all around. The key for you is to see it in yourself, and that starts with gratitude. You're you're going to have a natural bend to see how God made everyone else have some type of gifting. They're good at this. She's great at that. They're wonderful at this. Again, and like Matt said, we're throwing social media on there that nothing is real. So the key for you in your own spiritual formation is going to be to use that same thing towards yourself. Here's what I bring to the world. Here's what's good about me. And it's, it's rooted. It's going to be rooted in gratitude, not for what you don't have that you're seeing in other people, but for what you do have. And the more you can start to develop what you are that's where you find that freedom to be the best version of of who you are. And so the struggle might be even coming up with what is beautiful about me, but I bet you have parents and friends or family or close people in your world that you could say, hey, because it's not coming from a place of like, hey, tell me how amazing I am, it's, it's helping you, it's holding up mirrors all around you from people who love you, so that you have a starting point for where you know to show gratitude for what, everything that you have, and, and start to turn the tide of always focus on what you don't have in that envy to what you do have, but the key for you is always going to be rooted in gratitude. Thank you, guys.
0: Great question. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Okay, who do we got? I'm going this way. I
2: see back here. Awesome.
3: Hi, Liv. Uh, hi, I'm Zach. Um, I took the Instagram when I was 16, and I was just wondering if the numbers are able to change the more you get to know yourself? For you, yes. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, because you said you took it in 2016? Uh, no, when, he was when, I, when I was When you were 16, you're yeah. 18 or 19 now? I'm almost 19. Yeah, I would take it again. So, so when, you're, when you're 16, now you're 19, you're beginning to see yourself as yourself. When you were 16, you're still seeing yourself, and I don't mean this just about you, Zach. I just know who he is. Um, uh, I don't mean this specifically about you. You see yourself primarily through your parents. And so parents in here, when you say, should my kid take the test, they, they, they have not separated themselves from you yet fully. So they're going to mimic you in a lot of ways, which hopefully that's a good thing because you're modeling Jesus. Um, but they haven't yet discovered themselves. So yes, I, I, w- I would take it again. And um, I, I think the test is 10 bucks and your college students, if yeah, you can I'm help broke. with that, let me know. Um, <laughs> but but you, again, guys, we don't make any money off that. That's actually the, the university for the it, it, that, yeah, that we pay that straight over um, to them. So I'm not trying to like, this is not like a Ponzi scheme. I, I would just say, <laughs> Um, I would say yes. For you, I would. Cool. Right, thank you. Yeah,
2: that's a great question that we get asked a lot is, should my kid take the test? And, and the answer is no. The Enneagram world uh, recommends at 18 years old because that is sort of the first time that they're stepping out on their own from being the you the person they are and then the person they have to be to function in your family, right? Because we all have to figure out how to function in our family of origin. And so that's kind of the first time. Now here's what we do recommend is and I've used this word a lot um, today. I don't know if I've used it a lot tonight, but is to be curious. Now if you have young kids or you have friends in your life, it's a good opportunity you're probably seeing, a good picture of who they are and how they process and how they're motivated. You can be curious about that. But until they kind of start on that their own journey in that way, that's exactly what you should do is I, I see instead of saying you're such a two, you're such an eight, you're such a whatever number to be able to see, I see a lot of two gifting or three gifting or I see a lot of helper in you. I see a lot of enthusiasts or individuals in you. Um, because you're, they're still unpacking and figuring out who they are. So, 18 is the first time. The other, I'm just going to answer this, even though no one's asked it yet. The other question we get asked so often is, should I retake the test? I took it last year. Um, should I retake it again so I can hi- get better scores? That's why I try to say assessment, <laughs> because there's no getting the the assessment is just for you to have a, a starting place, a launching a launch pad to where you're motivated and what influences you from the inside out. And so after that, you can put the the numbers aside. If you have super high healthy and super high unhealthy scores, what that means is that when when you feel safe, secure, loved, you're probably exhibiting much of the beauty of that style. And when you don't, you're coming out as the brokenness of that style. And and I think all of us are sort of navigating that track simultaneously all the time. I can go to work and be in one kind of a mood and then come home and and hit hit that 99.9 brokenness all in the same day. So we're all sort of a mix of the beauty and brokenness. So all you need to know from the assessment is what might motivate you, lean into that Be real with yourself about how does that look for me? Because how it looks, you might know two people that are like, I say this a lot, Matt and our executive pastor, Dan Simbardi, who maybe is here tonight. They're both threes. But how that comes out of them is so different because they're unique. And so how does your style look for you? How does, like I loved right here, she shared about envy. Like what does envy look like for you? What does fear look like for you? What does pride look like for you? This week we talked about the helper, the core center that is pride. How does that play out for you specifically? Because it's going to play out different because you have your own set of unique giftings. Then you have your set of parents and everything You had to be for them and their brokenness that came out onto you, and then your friend groups or any trauma you've experienced, all of that starts to layer on top of us. What the Enneagram can help us do is figure out how we're managing all that so that we can start managing it in a healthy way, but you don't even know that until you start knowing who you are on your own outside of your parents and your world. Like, I... I say this, Matt and I are both tend to be more aggressive. I'm, I'm an aggressive six, he's an aggressive three, has a lot of eight. All three of our kids, one of their highest scores is a nine, the peacemaker. Do you think that's how God made them? Or do you think that's who they had to be to survive two parents like this, <laughs> right? So now, you know, they're trying to figure out who am I outside of my parents when I don't you know because they don't they don't want to come at us because they're getting in trouble at the end of the day right so who you know how do they have a voice with their friends to stand up for themselves how do they how are they declarative at nine how do they say what they like and what they don't like and how do they have good boundaries for themselves because with us we just trampled over them you're our kids you're doing it our way the way we say it's how it is because we said so it's not until they're out of our care where they can start going, wait, what are my boundaries? What do I like and not like? And so I hope that answers that question.
0: Awesome. Great question. Cool. All right. We still got a time uh, for a couple more. Perfect, right here. Hi, I'm Shelby. I'm a two-wing three. I'm married to a very high five. And I <laughs> wanted to know just some tips, knowing that I'm a two-wing wing three, my primaries are seven and nine, how can I best understand and love on my husband who's a five? It's still so much of a mystery, the five to me. I am reading up about it and trying to learn more, but since you're taking questions now, I'd love to hear what you have to say.
3: (laughs) Yeah, so we have, you know, our son's a five, and we love him, but he is challenging, um, you know, uh, because... Fives don't act out, they act in. I've never acted in a day in my life. Every thought, every feeling I have, it just comes out. And so, um, what's your husband's name? Josh. Josh. What you have to challenge Josh to is to meet you and say, here I am, because he'll retreat into his mind, he'll retreat into his thoughts, um, he'll retreat into the internet, he'll, he'll go way in. And so, um, did you, were you raised in church?
0: Yeah, we both were.
3: Yeah, so, so, you know, when we were in church, if you grew up in church, we talk about being born again. That's only mentioned one time in the entire scripture, and I believe it's Jesus' conversation with a five. Okay? Because a five wants to understand. He's trying to understand and research Jesus, and Jesus is saying, you can't get there, buddy, from here. You have to be born again. And what your husband has to learn to do is to be born again relationally, and you have to meet him there because he has far less need for people, for relationships, for connections. You're beautiful. He's good. Let's go, right? And so um, you're going to have to encourage him lovingly to come out of his shell. Uh, He's never going to be a spaz like me. That's just not going to happen. Actually, many of my friends are fives because I can't be with someone like myself. Like, I just can't do it. (laughs) It's like, look, I'm the talker, you're the listener, let's go. Um, so, so, so how to meet him, and just as a wife, in a non-critical way, say, here's what I need from you, and, and even in the book, I specifically talk about, say, I want to talk about on Tuesday how we're connecting emotionally, and we're going to talk about it from 5.30 to 6, and I promise we'll be done at 6, even if I'm crying, <laughs> because fives want to know, they want to be prepared. They want to be ready. They want to know that it's going to end. At some point do I get to get out of here, okay, right? So, so you, you have to let him know that and then thank him for where he's met you because I'm sure that what you were the reason you were attracted to him is because there were just some real, some real competent things about him. I'm sure he's incredibly intellectual, very smart, um, and very cute. responsible, yeah. And, and so those things drew you to him and he was probably drawn to you, bubbly, friendly, pretty, outgoing, social, right? opposites attract. And then you have to figure out how to live together. But he's never going to be you. So how do you love him as him? And how do we invite him to discover who he is as God? Because the reason fives go in is it's safe in here. You guys are not safe. You're unpredictable. I can't calculate you. I don't understand. Right? See what I'm saying? But in my mind, I can control things and work those. And so what's so sad is there's a ton going on in there. The question is how how do how do he, how does he bring that out to you? So the core sin of five is greed, and they often don't like that uh, because it it you know like uh, I think of Scrooge McDuck like when I was a kid. For anybody who watched that cartoon, um, it's not about money; it's about thoughts, emotions, feelings, words, time, and 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 you're going to have to learn to let him have some some alone time, which is I don't think we think of that in marriage. But where's his time? Where does he get? you know, some, some alone time. And then, and then where do you get your time? Where do you connect? Where do you fit into this, you know, his brain, right? And let's come out and let's meet there. So in the book, there's some practical steps. Read it together. I'm sure he's a five. He'll probably have a graph and a chart on, uh, you know, on, on the book, which is fine. But sit down and read it together. And here's the thing. Um, I shared this uh, at uh, Arrowhead when we are here today. Have you ever noticed that most girls' sports never have cheerleaders? It's because men are way more fragile than you think, okay? Like, like women aren't like, I need, I need some girls in a dress to cheer me on while I do this, but guys do because as soon as we feel like a failure or as soon as we feel like we're not getting it right, we tank. And I believe that biblically, one of the gifts of all women is the gift of prophecy, the ability to speak truth, and you have to do that very carefully and encourage him to meet you so that you can connect because otherwise it becomes critical, and then he'll retreat even further, which is not what you want. So cheer him on. Hey, let's read this book together, um, and, and let's talk about it. Because right competency. So he's gonna, you know, he'll probably know more about the enneagram than me in a week, right? So, um, and meet him there, and just say, hey, here's here's who I am, and here's what I need, and just, you know, remind yourself of that beautiful, amazing man that you met. And let's push towards that. But that was a great question. I'm talking too long. Go ahead. I was
2: going to say, we do have a lot of friends married to fives, So we actually deal with this quite often. And so we have some pro tips that a lot of our married couple friends do is like if they go to an event together, they drive separately so that he can leave when he's ready or she can leave when she's ready. It's not just men that are fives. And he could stay and be social. And understanding that not resenting it, knowing that that going was like the extra mile of Chick-fil-A, that second mile was even showing up to the event and saying, when you're good to go, like I want one dance with you on the wedding dance floor, then you're good to go. Then I'll stay and hang out with my friends or be ready to go. So there are some strategies like that. Fives are all in the thinking triad. They, are, they value competency. And so if you come at him with all the feels, he, you're, you're going to get nowhere. So it's probably better to process some of that with a close friend. Kind of narrow down the feels so that you can come with the few that you're ready for. Um, in, and also, one of the best things that you have to offer him is to help him know how he's feeling. Because he's always thinking and neglecting that part of who he is so a good thing for you to be doing with him is to say don't tell me what you think about this tell me what you feel about this and then give some time because he has to probably think a long time about how he feels. <laughs> but, yeah. And just to know he's going to express himself different. I remember I shared about this this morning. But my, I was taking my daughters to, he, he's not going to like that, he showed this Taylor Swift concert. And two older sisters, right? This Ethan's like, but he, I didn't get him a ticket. And he's like, I want to go. So I'll get him a ticket to Taylor Swift. The whole time, the girls and I are just, like, going crazy. And he's just, like, standing there, like, staring out. And I'm like, dude, I paid $200 for you to be here. Like, he's like, I love it. I'm like, really? Tell your face. You know, like I was so frustrated because he expresses himself so differently. And so now I just, I, I have tried to release my expectations for how Ethan's going to express himself. It's not going to look like me. I don't need him because I think, well, looking, having fun looks like this. That goes out the window for a five. I hope that helps so much. Thank you. I'm yeah, going to use you. that Thank tip. You. Yep.
0: Awesome. Awesome. All right. We've got time for a couple more. We're going to come up front here.
2: These are such good questions, you guys. Thank you.
0: Hi, I'm Rachel. I'm 23, and um, I'm a six, so I totally relate to you, Tammy. <laughs> and my brother's a one. And um, I've struggled with um, my relationship with my older brother for my whole life. Like we've tended to butt heads a lot and I try to be patient with him because he's a one and he's very disciplined and I really respect him. I really look up to him. Um, But lately there's times where I don't see him that often because he lives further away. When I do see him, he tends to kind of criticize me in front of my family, other people, and he'll be like, Um, you know I would be like joking around usually like different like how you know I I don't really joke around that much and he's like Rachel like what are you doing like don't do that like that's weird and it's like embarrassing and so I recently confronted him in front of my family at the dinner table and it was just awkward and I felt kind of happy about that but I guess my question to you is how can I (laughs) we've all been there that's why we're laughing we're like yeah we yeah we know what that's like yeah I definitely gotta stand up to him so I guess my question is how can I best stand up to him in a godly way and also like try to rebuild our relationship and be loving towards him even if he's, you know, it's hard to get along with him.
2: You know, that is, that may have something to do with Enneagram and it may just have something to do with being siblings, brother and sister, family, <laughs> all of that kind of stuff. Part of it is being secure in who you are and knowing who you are so that when he's, you know, the, the reformer um, tends to be very critical of others. They see what's wrong when healthy. It's so that it can be improved to to increase efficiency. When unhealthy, it's just critical. And I think that that probably, and this is what I would say could give you a heart for your brother, even though that's probably difficult because he's hurt you, and you've probably had to feel like you've had to put up some defense with him, is that um, a lot of times Ones, the reformers, they're critical to others to mask how critical they are of themselves. And so, the more critical he is towards you, probably can give you some insight to what he's doing with himself inside. And so, they tend to really, I, I, I have a high one in me, and there are seasons when I just, I camp there and I live there, and I tend to start being like, well, everyone else gets to get it wrong. How come I never get to get it wrong? And a lot of that's my own thinking. The one is the most inner critical, and it's to themselves. So what you're seeing with a with him as a one, I always say it's like the tip of the iceberg, but what we're not seeing under the water is what's happening inside about himself, just to know that he probably lives in this critical spirit towards him all the time can give some compassion for that, even if it doesn't change his behavior towards you. And figure out a way to say that, like, "Hey, it hurts my feelings that like can you? I, you've said a lot. Everything I got, I'm getting wrong. What am I getting right? What's good? And just challenge him to start in that way. But you're probably going to have to learn how to not take it so personal and just have a heart for him that he he probably lives in on a hamster wheel that never ends. Of self-negative talk.
3: Yeah. So I would say this. Um, so your brother, you said he's high one. Yeah. So he struggles with angers his core sin and and really where he has to learn to move to is grace and the best way to get him there is to give it. So grace unlocks intimacy always with God in marriage with siblings and so what I would just say is what's your brother's name Matthew. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> wow. This got really personal. Um, I would say I would say. I wouldn't do it in front of your parents unless it doesn't go well. His
2: biggest fear is going to be that he's getting something wrong, and now it's public.
3: So I would say this, Matthew, I just want you to know that I love you, and I've already forgiven you. So, So you lead with love and grace. However, because I love you so much and look up to you, what you said really hurt my feelings, and I would appreciate it if you didn't do it. Don't expect him to get that he's probably going to belittle, put you down, and just say, I love you, and I've already forgiven you. Please don't do that again. So you have to lead with love and grace because a one doesn't know how to experience that, but when they do, that's why God picked an unhealthy one to change the church, and he wrote 13 letters in the Bible all about grace, grace and love, grace and love. And so I know that's scary, but you love him, he's your older brother, you want a relationship with him, and just say again, if you can just practice, 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 I love you, and I've already forgiven you, but that really hurts my feelings, and then close the door and run, or whatever you got to do, you know, <laughs> just, just get out of there, so that, because what, because his initial reaction is probably not going to be one of, oh, well, I love you, too, and I'll give you grace, too, <laughs> so, um, you know, because he needs to learn that, learn that for himself, and, 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 and guys, a lot of times, we're just really dense to kind of how we're being received. And and he's also your older brother, and so that you know that causes whatever. But that's a great question, and you're amazing.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> great
3: question. Great, we got time for one more. One. Oh, Let's oh man. Let's do two more. Let's do, do you here do two more? and
2: then Amanda over here. It's
0: over here? Right here? Right, here. right here. right here. Right here in the front. Here we go.
3: I got a little lengthy one here. <laughs> Whoa. Um, So how do you keep from letting your thinking just be totally dominated by the Enneagram ideas and language, um, such as justifying behavior by saying, well, that's just my style, or by only focusing on your course and and not focusing on other areas that you may be struggling? Man, that's a great question. So the reason I love the Enneagram versus like Myers-Briggs, which most of you guys don't know, is Myers-Briggs, or let's even talk like astrology. A lot of your friends are like, oh, look at what, well, look, look at what this, my astrology. So the challenge with astro- astrology is, right, it's fixed, it can't be changed. Everything about you is written in the stars, and, and there's, re- there's really no you. You don't exist. That's why when people are like, oh, look what this says about me. It's not talking about you at all. It's talking about whatever that is. The Enneagram is how you see yourself. So it's your own self-assessment. You're saying, here's how I, I see myself emotionally. Um, and, and, and what I would say is, when you look at the book, I, I, I point to scripture, to scripture, and we'll talk about that in just a second when we wrap up. But what I, you know, what I think you need to learn to do is, is know a little bit about your personality style and then dive into God's word. So that I try to pay attention to things that I feel like God is saying directly to me through the scriptures about lying, untruth, hiding, not being real. I mean, why would I start, before I knew I was in Enneagram 3, why would I start a church whose vision was to be real with ourselves, God, and others? Because I needed that. I, that's what I needed. I needed to be in a spiritual community, and it turns out I'm not alone. There's a lot of people that want to be, because there's pressure in church to be fake, to be like, everything's great. You know, um, some of my best spankings when I was a kid were right before church, and then we walked in, and everybody's smiling. It was like, you know, I'm like, I'm going to smile because I want a donut afterwards. Um, Laughter. So, so so, I would say I, I'm not a fan of diving deep into the Enneagram. I just don't think it's helpful. I think it's a great starting place to discover who you are. But the last chapter in the book says you are not a number, you are you. And then I'll read from a section that I think will help You know why we should talk about that. What was the second part of your question? Sorry. There was, you had really two. Oh, yeah, just like how, you, how do you avoid... Um only focusing on your course and, and maybe neglecting other aspects that yeah. you're also struggling at? I, I think all of us are, are either glass half empty or half full, and you just need to know what you are. I'm a glass half empty guy. I see what's missing. My, my fellow four friend up here at the front. Um, so I have to work really hard at being positive. Um, you know, um, I, I, really, I really tend to focus on what's wrong, and that's my own sin. I fail to see what's right, beautifully and wonderfully made, is what Psalms 139 says that you are. Um, Deeply loved, deeply known. Um, I have to really, really work hard to see my giftedness because I tend to focus on my brokenness. Some people are the opposite. They're like, I got no problems, I don't need church. You're like, you need church. Um, So that's what I would say is that you're both, you're both your core strength and your core struggle, that they're, they're both. There's beauty and brokenness in every single human being. Even though we're fallen, sinful creatures, we're still made in the image of God, and we reflect him. And, um, and that's wonderful. So I think you just have to—I think emotional health is being aware of both and not being dominated by one or the other. And I think that's what a mature person is, is you're aware of your weaknesses, and you also know your strengths. Um, you know, like, I, I know that I'm a good talker, but my talking it's can get me in trouble.
2: That's what gets us in our biggest fights. Yeah,
3: yeah so— So that was a great question, well thought of.
2: Yeah, I I would say the same thing as Matt is um, it's not about the Enneagram. Like I said at the beginning, the Enneagram gives us a starting point for spiritual direction. So it can help you know, like for me, I know that I struggle with fear, pride, and anger. Now I don't care about the Enneagram anymore. I look at God's word. What does it speak to fear? There's a verse for every day of the year that says, do not be afraid, Right. And I, I look to what, what about anger? My anger will be the enemy, you know, the end of me. It repels me from everything I actually want in this world, and, and tears down and ruins people. Now it's not even about the enneagram anymore. But also, I can look at those three things in me, and some of the others, if you have high but you know, I can look at those and go, that, "That's where all of my other struggles. If, if, if I came down to them, they sort of tie back there. So if I can get to the root of that It does help with some of those other things. But also when I look at, but you know what else I bring to the table? I'm super strategic. I I can see how if things are tweaked a little bit, then it can be more efficient and better and a better resource. And then I can I see where needs need to be met and I can help with that. And because I'm constantly thinking of everything that can go wrong, I'm prepared. And it minimizes a lot of that in our world. And so when you look at whatever your strengths are and go, here's what I do bring to the table. When you're aware of what, because what happens is those, those core sins of ours, which they, you know, that is where our sin is. is what cuts us off as, as we're running our race. It's what trips us up. So when we're aware of it, we know what's coming at us at least. Right. And then, but we also, when we're focused on what we do bring to the world, that takes flight in our lives more than just those struggles. So the Enneagram is just that starting point. Then you put it aside and you go, what what does my spiritual formation and direction need to look like? It means I need to press into everything that could go right and not just what can go wrong. I need to know that I'm not helping people to manipulate them or control them, but because I have a heart to love on them. And I need to remember that the same grace that I need to give that to others when they mess up or get it wrong because I mess up and get it wrong. So it gives me an avenue to know my spiritual direction, and the Enneagram has nothing to do with it anymore. It just helped me figure that out. Make sense? All right. What what do you
3: do for a living? (laughs) I'm a junior scientist. Okay. (laughs) You'd have made a great counselor. You're very wise. Yeah. I mean, very relationally in tune. That's amazing. Awesome.
0: You guys want to do one more? Yeah,
3: we'll do one more. We'll do Amanda over over here. here. Right over here.
2: Hi, Matt and Tammy. I'm Amanda. Hi, Amanda. (laughs) We Um, went to college together.
3: (laughs) Should people with intellectual disabilities take the assessment? Because I feel like at any given time, at any given day, um, he could be anywhere on the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah, I'm guessing he has high five gifting just because I know him.
2: Mm-hmm. Five,
3: high five. Yeah, okay. he's in his head a lot. Yes. Mm-hmm. So um,
2: organized. Com- yeah. Competent likes rhythm routine. Yeah, I, I mean, I actually don't know is the truth about that, but it'd be interesting um, if he did, and if you guys walked through that um, without giving him answers, but helping him like fish out, and then to see what what. Um, the assessment says based on who you know him to be I think it'd be interesting yeah okay you know because at the end of the day it doesn't it doesn't change anything you know you know who he is you know his strengths that he brings you know the challenges that like any one of us has that you know you're navigating around that tension to manage between the beauty and the brokenness there um, and so it's not going to change that but it might be interesting for you to see because you can press in then to all of the super beautiful, high-functioning gifting that there is there that might get lost with challenges, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Great thank question.
3: You. Please do. All right. So um, <laughs> thank you so much, you guys. Uh, and we're going to be hanging around tonight. I, wanna, I just want to just challenge you guys tonight. Um, the reason I wrote this book is because I want my life to change lives, and I want my life to lead to people uh, experiencing eternal life that's only found through Jesus. And a lot of your friends are never going to go to church, they're, they're, they're not interested in sandals, they're not going to watch a sermon. Uh, they might not even want you to pray for them, but they will, for whatever reason, because the Enneagram is kind of a fad, they'll, they're interested in that. And so I want to read to you just a chapter out of the last book, um, the last book. I want to read a paragraph out of the last chapter. And, and it, the last chapter is, "What's my number?" So here's the good news. You're not a number. You were made in the image of God. The Bible teaches that before the foundations of the world were laid, God knew you. You and I have no idea when before the world began was, but I'm sure fives will have a chart and a graph that explains it. Amen? And the ones will add corrections to improve upon it later. Before the Enneagram was even a thing, God knew you, and he loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you on the cross. The Enneagram can help you unpack yourself to see what God has made. It can help you see the good in you that needs to be blessed, the bad in you that needs to be changed, and the brokenness in you that needs to be healed. But the Enneagram, despite all its wonders, is not Jesus. It is full of wisdom, but it is not full of God's spirit. It can help your life, but it cannot provide new life. The Enneagram can only help, but it cannot heal. Only Jesus of Nazareth can heal. And then I introduce him to Jesus, and the book closes with a uh, with a prayer of repentance to invite Jesus Christ into your life. And here's what's amazing. HarperCollins is not a Christian company. They would not agree with anything that we stand for at Sandals Church, and they let me put all of that in this book. And so I'm grateful for that. But just know where I'm leading people to is to Jesus at the very, very end. And so if there's somebody in your life that you want to get this book for tonight, like I said tonight, Tammy and I, we, we donated these to the church. They're not we're not making any money off them. If there's somebody in your life that's never gonna to come to church, but they would be curious in understanding the Enneagram and understanding themselves, I just want you to know that I'm very intentionally, carefully <laughs> leading them to a conversation with Jesus. And um, I know what Jesus Christ did for my life, and I wanna share that with all of your friends, all of your family members, and even some of you who maybe grew up in church, but you, you haven't ever really had a conversion encounter with Jesus. And uh, so be praying for this. Um, I was doing an interview with a woman named Amy last week, um, somewhere out of Texas, I think, I don't know where, I've lost track of where everyone is when we're doing these interviews, but in the middle of the interview, she just started crying. And, And her words are ugly crying. And after the show is over, she told the editor, she said, we're gonna leave that in. She said, we're not gonna edit that out. And I asked her, why was that? She said, there's something about this book, there's something about you that the world needs to see and hear and I don't want to rob them of the moment that we shared, but she said God was in this place. That's media. Like, that's not, just so you know, that's not how media are. So she she went from a reporter and an interviewer to an experiencer. Something happened, and it was pretty powerful, and it was pretty incredible. So just be praying that God would use this book, that God would use our church to change the world, to invite people into a real relationship with themselves, others, and most importantly, with Jesus. And... um. So I hope that you will just pray for us in this, that, that God would just use it and be glorified and blessed. And, and I, know what he's, I know what he's done in our lives, and, and I know that when, when, you, when you stop, like you said, just beating yourself up, but you embrace it. You know, my daughter is a four, and she designed this cover. And I asked Harper Collins, I said, is it okay if my daughter designs this? And they were like, well, let's see. And there it is, because that's what a four can do when they quit trying to be everybody else and they just become their selves. And I love love it. I mean, it it, it means so much to me because it's my kid made in the image of God that made this. And um, it's incredible to see what you can do when you get out of your own way and you say, God, let's tackle some of this garbage that I wish wasn't there and let me experience the beauty that I know that you made. And it's it's truly a powerful thing. And uh, like Tammy said, the Enneagram is just a tool. It's just a tool that God can use to bless your life.
2: I would just want to say on that note, the best way I think that you guys can use the Enneagram, if you will, is, is to just keep it personal, meaning that with your friends and loved ones who maybe aren't believers, that conversation might look like, oh, my gosh, I've learned so much about myself through this and then how God made me. That's a conversation starter. I've learned that I, I, God made me like this, but if I'm not careful, this comes out. Because here's the thing. Everyone who knows you knows this stuff. This is no secret to anyone. For some of us, it's just us finding the log in our eye. None of this is a secret to other people and how they experience us. And by us being able to just use that language of here's what I'm learning about me, that I, I just am a helper, that's how God made me, but sometimes when I'm not in a good place, I become controlling and prideful, and I'm, I just want to work on that. You know what that does? It, it disarms other people to go, oh, I wonder... I wonder what that would look like for me. And you just shared vulnerable, and I think I could share it. And a a spiritual conversation can happen. And so please, as you're using it, remember, you know, Matt and I talk about it as just a tool, like a steak knife, right? When used properly, it cuts through your steak. Great. We bought some cut codes during COVID. They cut like I've never experienced in my life. I've also lost my fingernails (laughs) about 20 times cutting Because when I use it improperly, it can be a weapon. A steak knife used properly cuts a steak. When it's weaponized, it cuts people. We don't want the Enneagram to cut people. And the best way to do that is just to share what it's done for you because that leads to the gospel conversation. And then what it will do for others is help them be curious about what that looks like for them. And they might ask you, well, what does this mean about me? Or how do I do that? Or how can I get that? And they're going to find Jesus on the other side. It's just a tool.
3: So we're going to end. Um, I don't know if Pastor Fredo's still here. Yeah, come on up. Close us. Uh, pray for us. Bless us with that thing you do. Yeah.
2: You guys, tonight's been so fun. Thank you so much for having yeah, us here. We're just so excited to get to be at the campuses and meet you guys.
1: Uh, as, we, as we do close, uh, you guys mentioned the assessment, not the test. You can go to sandalschurch.com slash you to take the assessment there. Uh, also, Tammy's Cultivate podcast, which is fantastic. She dives deep into each of the styles with guests. Um, the first two-part episode is
2: Matt and I together. That one is, is the one that for anyone, whether you're a woman or not, that, that podcast could be super helpful for you.
1: That's the money right there. And then lastly, as I said, they're hanging out tonight. Uh, the book is on sale, physical copies. It doesn't come out until I think October 5th. You can get it tonight. They're going to stick around. He can sign it. Uh, he'd love to say hello to all of you guys. Matt and Tammy we would love to... To say hi. We got snacks and treats. I know some of y'all are hungry. Yep. Christians love to eat. Tell them, Terry. Tell them. But let's, uh, let's just extend a hand and let's pray over our pastor and Tammy. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for our leaders. We're grateful for your love in their life and the way that you have called them to follow Jesus and to share this vision of living an authentic life with you and inviting others in. God, we pray that you would continue to just strengthen them on this journey, especially through such a difficult time for churches and for pastors and families. Would your grace and your presence be sufficient for them uh, through this season? Uh, We pray, too, that this tool and book would reach so many people who would never step foot in church. Uh, But, God, would you use this as a grace to bring them close to Jesus and to really embrace the good news that he can change them, and make them who's who you've called them to be. So we thank you so much for them, and we ask that you would just bless the rest of our night in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother. Love you.